to one of our nation's top economists, said, and I'm quoting here, the economic damage from a government shutdown would mount very quickly. And the longer it dragged on, the greater the odds of a renewed recession. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson, and I'm very happy to say that today co-hosting with me is Robert Smith. Robert is one of our favorite NPR reporters. He also works here in the New York Bureau, and so we're very glad, Robert, you're going to be joining us for a few months here on the Planet Money team. And I get to do what I've always wanted to do, which is to say, today is Friday, April 8th, and that was President Obama, you heard at the top of the show. So today on the program, dear listeners... We have a very special deal for you. In fact, this is an entire show about deals, sales, coupons, groupons, and the economic history of cheap skatery. In fact, if you act now, we will give you 40 minutes, 40 minutes worth of economic wisdom squeezed into just 20 minutes. You're crazy, Robert. That's just giving it away. We're stacking it deep and selling it cheap right after a full price, never discounted Planet Money Indicator with Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money indicator is somewhere in the neighborhood of $37 billion. Politicians in Washington are fighting over about $37 billion in cuts to this year's federal budget. You know, I have heard there is going to be perhaps a government shutdown. Is that what you're referring Big to? Big action, right? <laughs> it's huge. all over the news. But, you know, if you step back and look at this in terms of the deficit, which is, I don't know what this was originally about or what somebody said it was about or what I thought it was supposed to be about, really this whole fight, it doesn't matter for the deficit. This year's federal deficit, it's about $1.5 trillion. So that's $1,500 billion. And this fight is over about $37 billion. It's about 2% of the deficit. And they're not fighting over the big ticket items, Medicare, Social Security, defense spending. I mean, in other words, however dramatic they want this fight to be, this is not really getting at any of the issues that we face as a country, any of the deep financial issues. Yeah, whatever it's about, it's not about the deficit. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, guys. So, Robert, we on the Planet Money team were having a conversation a few months ago about how some great economic ideas come out of really bad economic times. You know, the, the Great Depression brought about all sorts of transformations, many of them for the better in our financial system. And we were wondering, like, what's going to come out of this great recession? What's the great new transformative idea? And, and I think, Robert, you are bringing us today your candidate for great new idea. Submitted for your approval, the Groupon. Now, if you don't know what this is, the Groupon is a daily email. It's basically a, a coupon that you get in your email box. Living Social is another one of these daily deal sites. And the difference between this and a normal coupon is that this usually has a crazy deal, like 50% off bikini waxing. I bought $200 worth of framing from some frame company in Brooklyn for 70 bucks. They love the hot stone massage. They're always offering you know $150 worth of hot stone massage for just 75 bucks. Right. And you're always seeing these two-for-one restaurant deals, et cetera, et cetera. But as I discovered, there's always a catch. You have to pay up front. Yes. You have to pay up front. You have to buy quickly because usually these deals are only on for just a single day. And enough other people have to jump on it, too. There's usually a minimum number of people who have to respond. Now, the benefits for consumers are obvious as long as you bid on stuff that you actually want to use. My dad is one of these guys who will buy things because they're on sale even if he doesn't like them. Like I remember him eating these crackers. I'm like, you hate those crackers. He's like, I know, but they were 50% off. So as long as you're not 
like that, you can really save some money. You know, but your father aside, uh, the question we have to ask today is how this is working out for the businesses, because they're the ones that are paying for this. They are taking deep, deep discounts in a difficult economic time. And so the question is, can you make money by losing money? And I present to you exhibit number one, the Slope Burger. On the Slope Burger, we have uh, lettuce, tomato, pickles, onion rings, cheddar, and bacon. The Slope Burger is $9.25. Adam, I want you to meet Hilda Hamper. She's the owner of Corner Burger, which is in my neighborhood of Park Slope in Brooklyn. Which happens to be my neighborhood in Brooklyn as well. And hence the name, The Slope Burger. And it's their big seller. And, you know, I've been keeping my eye on this restaurant because it's in one of those like almost cursed locations. Like when I first arrived, it was a fish and chips shop. Which I loved. I loved that place. Still there, they contracted. And so this this part of the block became uh, a Mediterranean restaurant, which nobody went to. And then Hilda thought of turning it over to burgers. Because American people love burgers. That's why. <laughs> That's what her son told her. And, you know, I've been to the restaurant. It is a fine restaurant. But when I would walk by, I'd notice that it was empty a lot of the times. There was nobody eating there. That is until Groupon sent out a deal to thousands of its New York subscribers. $18 worth of food for just 9 bucks. Groupon sold 800 of these deals. And this is a restaurant with 10 tables. Oh, you should see the next day the, uh, the coupon came out. This place was full. People was waiting outside. Yeah, it was good. And, and you're grinning. <laughs> you must love that. I love it. I love it. Of course I do. Of course I do. <laughs> So wait, wait, wait. I want to do the math. So, so $18, what do you get? You get a burger, fries, and a, and a drink? Chocolate shake. Chocolate shake. Okay. Yeah. So normally she gets 18 bucks for that. The customers are paying 9 bucks. But what does Groupon has to take a piece of that, right? They're a business. They take 50%. 50, they take 450 So she has to somehow make a profit off of a $4.50 sale on burger, fries, and a shake. She's got to be losing money there. Yeah, well, it's cheap material, so it is about her cost, $4.50. So if this alone were what she got out of this coupon deal, it would be terrible for her business because she has to keep the lights on, she has to pay her employees. So what she has to do is squeeze a little bit more out of that coupon customer. If they come and spend exactly $18... And I don't make any money. But if they come in table of four, because we only honor one coupon per table, if they come in table of four, they spend $50, $60, and I deduct $18, I do make a profit. And if she can get you to order beer, oh, she'll make a ton of money. But, you know, this is not the main economic reason that she has for using this Groupon. What she's really hoping here is that with this deal, she can bring in new customers, one that wouldn't normally spend $9.25 on a hamburger. People who would just walk right on by. She wants a reason for them to come in, try her burger, perhaps like it, and then stay. She's looking for something that economists call price discrimination. All right. So price discrimination, this is a real obsession here on the Planet Money team. We're, actually, we've hired a, a, a really nice uh, economics teacher to teach us microeconomics. And we've been talking a lot about price discrimination. And here, here's the basic idea. So you have a product, like a burger, that costs you $4.50 to make, but you sell it for 18 bucks. And when people pay 18 bucks, you make a lot of profit. But lots and lots of people walk by in front of your store, and maybe they'd take it for 15 bucks. You'd still make a $10 profit, but 
they never get to come in because they're not going to pay 18 bucks. For instance, there's a middle school that's, you know, right sort of across the street, and they're looking for cheap meals. Those are the people you're never going to get with an $18 lunch. Exactly. Now, you could charge them, say, 9 bucks, and now we know she would still make a profit, but she doesn't want to charge them 9 bucks because then all the people who are willing to pay 18 bucks don't pay the full 18 bucks. So she loses money off of them. And this is something businesses are obsessed with. How do we get people to identify what they're willing to pay and charge them the maximum. Our friend Tim Harford, the economist who wrote the book Undercover Economist, he explains this very well using a Starbucks. So lots of people have a different amount they're willing to pay for coffee. Someone like me, I'm really not willing to pay that much. I'll pay a buck for coffee. Now, I can go into Starbucks and get coffee for a buck, but you might be willing to pay five bucks for coffee. So what they do is they add a few pennies worth of milk and foam and, you know, amaretto shots or whatever you crazy people get. And then you reveal yourself to be someone who values coffee at much more than I do. So they're able to make a profit off of me, a tiny profit, and then they can also make a much bigger profit off of you. And, you know, it's so complex in some instances what businesses have to do in order to get this price discrimination. And it's interesting to look back in history a little bit to see how we got to this point where businesses have to do backflips in order to get this kind of price discrimination. So take us back in time, Adam Davidson. Yeah, the closest thing I've found to a time machine to how business used to be conducted is to go to the Middle East. And as I've mentioned, I've spent a fair bit of my life in the Middle East. And when you go to the bazaars in Jerusalem or Baghdad or Damascus, what you find is there are not posted prices. Every price for everything is something determined through haggling, through a really heated exchange between buyer and seller. This bloke won't haggle. Won't haggle? Okay, we have no actual tape from ancient times, so we're going to have to let Monty Python do the work in Life of Brian. Come on, haggle. All right, I'll give you ten. That's more like it. Ten? Are you trying to insult me? Me with a poor dying grandmother? Ten? All right, I'll give you 11. Now you're getting it. 11? Did I hear you right? 11? This cost me 12? You want to ruin me? 17? No, 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 no. 17. 18? No, no. You got a 14 now. All right, I'll give you 14. 14? Are you joking? So here we have perfect price discrimination. No set prices. Every price is determined by the seller sizing up the buyer. How rich is he? How much does he want this thing? The buyer is sizing up the seller. How desperate is he to sell? How busy is his shop? How many competitors does he have nearby? And each transaction, they come up with exactly the right price for those two people. It's perfect price discrimination. Nobody needs a Groupon because if you want a discount, you just threaten to walk away or you walk away and they come after you. Another advantage, it really rewards loyal shoppers. If you're a tourist who's just popping in and they'll never see you again, speaking English, then they might as well charge you the maximum they can get out of you. But if you're a local, if you speak Arabic and you're in that shop all the time, then the buyer has an incentive to give you a really fair, decent deal. You have an incentive to create a good long-term relationship with the buyer. It creates really good incentives. But there is, of course, a problem with haggling. That's why we don't do it now. We spoke with Richard McKenzie, and he's an economist at the business school at UC Irvine, and he studied the history of discounts. The real problem with haggling is the problem that you find in buying an automobile. It takes a lot of time. The salesman wants to ask a lot of uh, information about you. He wants to know what your income is, uh, where you live, and there's a lot of lying going on. You can imagine how much time would be wasted if every single thing you wanted to buy, every pack of gum, every sandwich, every tie you were buying, you had to spend 20 minutes, half an hour figuring out the price. I mean, in our 
busy, time-sensitive lifestyles. That that would just be such a drag on the U.S. economy. And in fact, there's a point. There is an actual tipping point where this became so much of a hassle for the U.S. economy that they dropped it and started to post actual price tags. And it happened around the mid-1800s with the advent of the department store, like the Bon Marche in Paris or Macy's here in New York. And all of a sudden, the owner of a business wasn't making the deal. He had hired low-paid employees, and it took too long with all the volume at a department store. There was no time for this negotiation, and stores simply made a guess. They posted the best price that they thought would bring them the most profit. But right away, department store owners missed the price discovery that they got during the old haggling days. And remarkably quickly, they came up with the solution, the coupon. The people who really, really, really don't want to pay full price are willing to spend some time and find coupons. And the people who are less price sensitive, who are willing to pay more, well, they just don't spend that time and they pay full price. And Robert, you and I have been sort of digging into the history of coupons. We've been couponologists this week. <laughs> we discovered that one of the first major coupon campaigns was, was Coca-Cola, which apparently was very successful. They had little slips of paper for free uh, samples of Coke. Another big one was CW Post offered one cent off grape nuts which I guess at the time was quite an incentive to eat those hard little crunchy, I don't like them. Yeah, I don't care for grape nuts, I have to say, at any discount. (laughs) So the thing about coupons is that they were this marvelous invention to basically bring us back to the age of haggling without the actual haggling. So the coupon had its heyday. People would routinely clip these coupons on the weekends and and save them up and put them in. But our, our economist, Richard McKenzie, he noticed that these kind of deals have a lifespan because after a while, they no longer serve to discriminate, which is what we were talking about. Because after a while, everyone wants a good deal. There are coupons everywhere. There are coupons on the shelves. They give you coupons at the checkout line. Coupons are so omnipresent that it's like a permanent discount in the price. So the stores in the 80s, 90s, and to the 2000s are are, are confronted with this problem. They still want price discrimination, but they don't want just a lowering of the average price level. So they came up with all sorts of gimmicks to target price-sensitive customers, like one-day sales or even four-hour sales, senior discounts or student discounts or those loyalty cards that, you know, suddenly you see someone's wallet and it's just like thick with loyalty cards to every store they shop in. There are those buying clubs like Costco. And all of these schemes have something in common, which is you have to do something kind of annoying in order to get the deal. You have to drive out to where Costco is or you only can shop during these four hours or whatever it is. So the Price-sensitive shopper does something kind of annoying to get the cheap price, and the lazier people, frankly, like me, who don't care so much, aren't as price-sensitive, they just end up paying full price, so the store wins. Which brings us to the Great Recession of 2008. By this time, everyone has all those little loyalty cards filling up their wallets. Everybody's selling things at discounts. There are coupons everywhere. In in other words, the, a lot of the tricks that worked before, the one-day sales, we've seen it all. It doesn't work that much anymore. And this is where Groupon enters the picture. I mean, okay, it's a coupon. Let's just say that. But it has all these new, exciting bells and whistles. First of all, it has a limit. It's, it feels like a sale. You have to act immediately. And you have to pay up front. So you can't just be 
a casual, lazy person who doesn't care that much. You really have to commit in order to buy this thing. And the size of the discounts, 50, 60, 70 percent, feels like the day after Thanksgiving, those like massive doorbuster sales, they call them. And it's really surprising. You don't know what it's going to be every day. You can't sit around and say, oh, I'm not going to buy any luggage because Groupon's probably going to have a luggage coupon any day. You don't know. Now, I have to say, I am also one of those lazy people, and so I didn't really do a lot of Grouponing, as they say. And then I noticed something last December. I saw a little news item that said that Google offered the owners of Groupon $6 billion, billion dollars to buy the company. $6 billion. For a coupon company. For a coupon company. And Groupon turned them down. Groupon was doing some price discrimination of their own. And all of a sudden, this little thing that seemed like coupon clipping on the internet seemed like this amazing new industry, this new almost market, you know? And the question started to become, could this change the way business is done in America? Well, a lot of companies think this is the future. In fact, over the last year, about 400 companies have started to do these email deals. And in fact, this week was the first ever conference. They already have a major conference for the daily deal industry. They don't want to call it Groupon because they're a competitor. The daily deal industry. And so I went over there and... Adam, what do you think when I say a convention of coupon clippers? I'm, I'm picturing my two grandmothers and lots and lots of other people exactly like my two grandmothers. Short, blue hair, sitting with those uh, filofaxes filled with coupons. This is not your grandmother's coupons. This place is filled with young men. A lot of them have left the financial industry to go into couponing. The hot new industry. The hot new industry. <laughs> they carry iPads and they have their square glasses. And they're all trying to make these deals. They all want customers. They all want businesses. They all want to be the next Groupon. I met one of these guys. His name is Kirk Barrett. And he's with Double Take Deal. And he was slightly different than a lot of the other guys in the room because he had been in the coupon industry for decades. The same company used to publish, still does, uh, something called The Clipper, (laughs) where you would clip the coupons out of. But now the whole thing's moved online. Using coupons is, is, is hip. You know, the one thing Groupon has done for the whole space is made the coupon business sexy. In 27 years, we've, we've managed to grow a fantastic readership and a lot, of, a lot of people taking advantage of coupons. But thanks to Groupon in the deal space, I think a lot more people are open to it and, and there's more acceptability. Think about going on a date with your girlfriend. When was the last time you brought a coupon with you? And it's not, it's not an embarrassment anymore. Because with these daily deal sites, you can flash the iPhone and show your coupon to them. And it, it just feels just new. And so now we have these hundreds of companies and everyone's trying to find their place in the industry. There's some that just do deals on clothes or on travel. There are these aggregator sites that will collect all of everyone else's coupons and present them to you for a cut. There are reselling sites where you can swap your electronic coupons. There's coupon futures, coupon derivatives, coupon credit default swaps. It actually, it actually feels like that. I mean, it was so crazy that twice, as I'm interviewing people, I'm talking to them, twice somebody mentioned to me, well, have you thought about at NPR going into the coupon business? You have this uh, affluent uh, listenership. Perhaps they would love to have a daily deal offer from NPR. Which, you know, is sort of the definition of a bubble. When, when a reporter actually trying to report on a business starts to be pitched and actually considers it. I was thinking, God, this is a great industry. Maybe I should join up. That is almost the definition of a bubble. So I feel like, Robert, I understand what's in it for Groupon and Groupon's competitors, all these new living social and all these new companies. I mean, all they have to do is send out an email and they get $4.50 off of 800 people buying burgers. That, that's a great deal. But... For the businesses themselves, I'm still 
a little confused. I mean, the old coupon model was like 10 cents off your dishwashing detergent or whatever. This You're talking about 50%, 70% off you know, expensive products and services. Which maybe you can do once as a business. But talking to some of these businesses, they're getting pitched every day from Groupon or Living Social or Daily Candy or, or, or one of these other email companies. They're, every single day someone's saying, let's do a 50% deal. Let's do a two-for-one. Let's do a 50% deal, which is not sustainable. Yeah, I'm picturing like a year from now, we just all assume that Every shop we go into, every restaurant we go to, everything we want to buy, there's got to be some Groupon-type thing associated with it. I just carry around my iPhone, and I just automatically get a discount on everything. So it's not creating that price discrimination. It's just, once again, lowering the average price level, which is great for us consumers, but not so great for businesses. And I should say they have a name for these kind of people at the conference. Uh, cover your children's ears. They are deal whores. Deal whores or deal hoppers. These are the people who start to get trained that they want 50% off on everything. And so the question is, are these Groupons and these Groupon-like deals, are they just a, a quick hit? Are they like retail crack to get a bunch of people in and then they leave? Or will you actually build long-term customers? Are they retail broccoli? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh it turns out that there hasn't been a lot of study on this yet. I mean, this area is too new. It literally changes every week who's in it, what the deals are. But I did reach one professor who's looked into this. His name is Uptal Dolakia, and he's at the business school at Rice University. And he stumbled on this Groupon question entirely by accident. He was going out to dinner with his wife to this regular restaurant they always went to, and he encountered this huge line. And it turned out that the restaurant had run a Groupon promotion. The whole experience that night was just terrible. You know, there were out of specials. It took us a long time to get our food. The wait staff didn't look very happy. So that led us to thinking that this um, cannot be that good for the business, running this group on there. They are in a mess. So Delakia compiled a survey of businesses that had tried Groupon, and he found what he found to be a surprising number. 42% of them wouldn't do it again. And when he asked them why, he found that these unhappy merchants found that the customers on Groupon usually spent exactly what their coupons were worth. They didn't buy any beer. They didn't buy anything extra. And this may not surprise you, they didn't tip very well. So the servers were unhappy, and they usually never came back. Which basically um, uh, makes the promotion uh, very unsuccessful from the business owner's standpoint because they didn't achieve what they wanted to do, which is help build a sustainable, um, loyal base of customers. But if you're saying 42% wouldn't do it again, that implies that 50-something percent would do it again. So clearly some businesses are, are finding it a, a, a good idea. Yeah, and for some businesses, and this is what we don't know which businesses are which, but for some businesses, people do spend more. People do come back. And right now, Delaki is doing a study to figure out sort of the nuances of this. And he's found, you know, in preliminary data, small businesses seem to fare better than larger ones with these deals. Uh, new businesses who have just opened have a great time with this. They're, they're looking for any customers they can get. Existing businesses, not so much. Well, that makes sense, obviously. In, in New York, I don't think any woman ever needs to pay full price for a, a haircut because you're constantly seeing these people on the street handing out 50% off deals for some new salon or other that open. Or apparently a hot stone massage. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, it's just changing so quickly that we just can't say what the industry is going to look like in a couple of months. Facebook is about to get into the business and offer deals to people who are addicted to Facebook. And so is Google. After they were jilted by Groupon, Google moped around, took their $6 billion, 
and are reportedly working on something called Google Offers. And it's not up and running yet, but Hilda Hamper, the burger lady, just got a call this week from Google. Google calls her on her little corner burger and says, hey, you know that deal you did with Groupon? We'd like to do one exactly the same. They're going to advertise in websites, in food network websites, in other net, uh, websites. Why not? Why not doing it? Well, because Google is new in the area. Do you trust Google? Google is a big company. It's a huge company. Of course I trust them. Yeah. Come on. If it brings me 10 people, 10 people is 10 people. If it brings me 1,000 people, 1,000 people is 1,000 people. If the lines are out the door? Let them wait. <laughs> Thank you, Robert for an excellent podcast. And I do want to let our listeners know, if you go to our website and you type in the code Robert Smith, you will get 50% off Tuesday's podcast. That's right. Today only, we are offering a 50% off sale on Tuesday's podcast. But you have to act now. If you wait, it's gone. Please let us know what you think. Send email to planetmoney at npr.org. Or, of course, you can visit us on Facebook and Twitter. Or check out the Planet Money blog. You can find that at npr.org slash money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. I won't